But I'm gonna read from 1 Timothy chapter five, and we're gonna jump right into it right now. Let me give you some context. This was a letter that was written to a man named Timothy by an apostle named Paul. Paul is the oversight in other words, the mentor and the, the one who trains and develops Timothy, who is a shepherd or a pastor over a region called Ephesus. Ephesus is modern day Turkey. So to give you an idea geographically of where we're talking, this was a letter that was written from an older Paul. So this is old man Paul. How many of you know when people get older, they stop caring what other people think? Like the older you get, the less you care. You ain't trying to impress nobody. My wife had a surprise birthday party for me the other day, and she said, did you know? I said, the only clue that gave it away is you actually got ready. Because, <laughs> you know, we've been married for a long time, and I say, girl, don't worry about doing your hair. Let's just make out. It's all good. So I said, the fact that you got ready told me there's going to be other people there, because <laughs> we don't care anymore. It's good. It's hot in the kitchen in the Signorelli house. So the reason why I say, I like how Pastor Dean said, come on, come on. You're married to my mom. That's weird, man. It's weird. It's weird. Look, she's all embarrassed now. I almost spit my drink out. I can't even tell you what he said off the camera right here. Woo, I'm sweating. So Paul's writing this letter to Timothy to give him instructions to lead Ephesus. That's, and this is about the mid-60s AD, so 2,000 years ago. The main theme of 1 Timothy is the idea that the gospel, it leads to a very practical and a very visible change in the lives of believers, which to be honest with you, it's kind of weird to say that you're a Christian if you're still drinking, smoking, cussing, sleeping around, pornography addicted like you were before you became a Christian because like you can't just own Christian like a title. It's a visible change. And people are like, what's wrong with smoking? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's a counterfeit comfort. So religion deletes, but relationship replaces and so you used to smoke like Bob Marley so that you can cause the anxieties to subside. But when you have the comforter, the gospel shows a visible change that says, I am free from that and I don't need to buy a substance to alleviate anxiety. Jesus paid it all for me so that I could have no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. And so the gospel creates a visible change. If the world doesn't see it, it's because it ain't happening. For real, people should be like, man, you're so different. Yes, the gospel. And 1 Timothy is really about trying to set that straight. The other thing in 1 Timothy is that the re one of the real reasons why it was written is because there were false teachers that were, that were infiltrating the church. As a matter of fact, as time goes on, the number of false teachers increases. We have a problem with that today. False teachers infiltrating the local church false teachers. And so this letter is so important because it's basically a letter of old man Paul, the apostle, to young man Timothy saying, let's set some things straight. Okay, so now can we jump in? Okay, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here and then we'll give a big announcement. First Timothy chapter five, we're going to start at verse five, do not rebuke an older man, but in or verse one, I'm sorry, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Everybody say father. Younger men as brothers. Everybody say brothers. Older women as mothers. Say mothers. Younger women as sisters. Say sisters. And it says in all purity. Say that phrase in all purity. Okay, so the leader over them, so this letter would be like me writing a letter to Eddie to administrate New York City. Me writing a letter to, um, to where's he at? Pastor Patrick to administrate Long Island. Me writing a letter to Chase to administrate Indiana. And sometimes what I've realized when you're trying to teach people how to lead is that most people know the right decision, but they make the wrong choice from the wrong metric because they lack the intestinal fortitude to say and do the hard things. 
And oftentimes why God makes somebody a leader is because they're the most willing to do and say the hard things. Leadership is about getting guts. Leadership is about having courage. And I told this to Haley last night. Shout out Pastor Haley from our Indiana campus. She's, I said, I have never walked up on stage and not been nervous in over 20 years. It's not the absence of fear. Courage is what you do in the midst of the feeling of fear. And so the most courageous is the leader. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, you, Timothy, you need to increase in courage. And what he's saying is, as you're talking to these people, you're going to have to correct people older than you, younger than you, male and female. And the Lord gave me a wisdom key. I want to break this down for you. Generational and gender. He gave me two revelations, okay? First of all, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 gives us a window into this church in Ephesus that it was multi-generational and also that it had men and women and also that it was a church with leadership over it. This is the plan by God. God does not have an alternative plan to what I just told you. If you go to a church, okay, y'all, some of you are like, I'm never coming back. If you go to a church and it's all one race? I question that. Now, maybe geographically, I've been to different countries, but this is America. We have to choose to actively fight racism. And there are some times where you just have to get your annual reminder that you are, and this is not for everybody, but some of y'all need to hear this. You are racist. Oh, look, it got real quiet. I must be with the racist people. <laughs> Turn the car on. Get it ready. No, seriously. When I first moved to Long Island, I told everybody, oh, we're going to have a church that's diverse. And all the pastors in this region laughed at me. And I said, what's so funny about having a vision where your church looks like heaven? They said, well, we could tell you haven't been to Long Island yet. And they said, in Long Island, the Guyanese stay with the Guyanese, the West Indians with the West. I'm like, isn't that the same? Oh, no, no. The Puerto Ricans stay with the Puerto Ricans, the Colombians with the Colombians. So there is no Latin American church. We break it down by country and then even country by region. And, and New York's not a melting pot. It's one of those old school trays in the cafeteria where none of your food touches. And the peas stay with the peas and the potatoes with the potatoes and the pizza with the pizza. It's not a melting pot. And I said, I'm going to devote my life to confronting and actively attacking racism because I hate that spirit. Absolutely hate it. And if there's any last morsel of it inside of you, I want you to deal with it because when you look at the stages of V1 Church across all of our campuses, you're not going to find a white Caucasian stage. Somebody, amen, way too loud on that one. Now I'm offended. <laughs> I'm playing. We don't even know how to season our chicken. <laughs> what am I talking about? Somebody in the back just said, that's true. That's true. That is so true. We're praying for Pastor Julie. Pastor Mike, we got you. <laughs> but we got to deal with it. And for those of you who think I'm saying something new, I've been preaching this for the last eight years out here. And I'm preaching it in Indiana. I'm preaching it in Miami. Like, but here's the other thing. Ageism. Ageism. Do you know that there was this fad that moved through America that convinced us that the only churches that are thriving have young people on the worship team? And people who are middle-aged and older have gotten dismissed even though they have experience, even though the anointing is on their life, even though they know how to host the Holy Spirit. We have deleted older folks from our worship teams to try to keep up with the ministry of a music ministry from a church that don't even exist anymore. Come on, that foolishness. So ageism is here. And it happens and we got to constantly fight it. Or you got millennials who will not let Gen, Gen Z thrive because they're intimidated by the gift and the ability that Gen Z has. Devote yourself to the success of others and you will always be successful. Give another generation a voice and you will always have a voice. Devote your life to destroying racism and you will find that people from every nation and tribe will join together and then together we will make Christ known. 
And when I see this, it says there's older men, fathers, young brothers, sisters, mothers, younger women, and it says in all purity. So the last thing I want to deal with, oh Lord, I'm just going there. I don't even care. Women in the local church are not sex objects. They are sisters and mothers, and that's it. I'm, that's it. And ministries that did not treat women like sisters and mothers, I don't know if you realize, but there was a sifting that took place in the last couple of years in the body of Christ. We have to treat our women like, like they are sisters and like they are mothers, and we need to treat our men like they are fathers and brothers. Because when you operate, some of you are like, what do I feel when I'm in V1 church? You're feeling the unity that happens when sexual perversion is not tolerated. Some of you went to other churches and you felt that spirit. That's why I said, we're not going to tolerate the Jezebel spirit. It's a seducing spirit. It's an enticing spirit. That is a seductive spirit. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. You can read about it um, in, in the Old Testament. It's the same spirit, whether it's a human person or whether it's a spirit that's referenced in eschatological texts. The reason why I say this is because we have to make sure that when we are building, we are building in alignment with God's way. Okay. I'm I know you're like, you only got one scripture and you got five minutes left. I got to go a little bit further just for this first verse. Okay, I minister to significantly more people than attend our church. That's an assignment that I've had to accept as an apostolic leader in the body of Christ. So I have Mike Signorelli Ministries and a whole nother entity. And I did that under my apostolic oversight. In other words, my leader said, it's appropriate for you because you're going to be a gift to the body of Christ and to your local body. Does this make sense? I'm friends with Isaiah Saldivar. He's my best friend. We talk every day. I'm friends with Jenny Weaver. Jenny and Stephen were literally just at my house two days ago. I, all these people. But the thing is, and I want you to understand because we're going to get deeper into this text. I want you to understand God's plan A is still the local church. Jenny is pro-local church. Isaiah, I can't tell you how many times on his broadcast, he has to remind people, go to church. But we have this phenomenon where people are monthly partners, $20 here, $20 there, 20, and they have partnerships, but no covenants. You would never have a Planet Fitness membership, but not have a house or an apartment. That is the equivalent of what it's like to be like, I'm a monthly partner with Isaiah, but I don't have a pastor. You have a personal trainer at a gym, but you don't even have a house. You're homeless. Does this make sense? And so I want to make sure that in, in this era, I'm leading you well, because as God's been doing all that he's doing in my life, I'm like, Lord, what is the source of all this favor? Why is your glory coming down? Why are we seeing so many medically verifiable miracles? Why is this happening? And the Lord told me it's simple, because you are protecting the local church. And when you look back at Paul, I want to tell you a revelation no one's ever preached to you because I, I have not heard this in all my years of studying the scripture and seeing people uh, try to preach this. You know how you get the scripture about Peter's shadow healing people? You know how you get the scripture in Acts chapter 19 that the handkerchief of Paul, they prayed over a handkerchief and people touched it and demons came out and the sick were healed? Can I give you my my personal belief as to why that dimension of authority was released to those men? Because they were tasked with building local churches in regions that were godless and would persecute and even kill you for trying to do it. And God had to release a measure of authority. He had to release a measure of the miraculous, the authority of heaven upon those men to say, you should probably listen to them. I know Peter's messed up. I know you used to know him when he was a fisherman, but that's my guy. And even his shadow is going to heal people through my power to prove to you I endorse him. So I really believe work, and this is prophetic for those of you who see in the spirit, the look, because I was like, Lord, what you did from Switzerland to the West and East Coast and the Midwest, I was in Nashville underneath another tent at a significant ministry. The glory of the Lord came so strong that over 150 people started going through deliverance spontaneously. And I ended up delivering the deliverance team of that ministry without ever even touching them 
And they came to me and they said, what was that? We didn't even know we needed deliverance. And we were on the ground for two hours being delivered and you never touched us. And I'm not saying that to aggrandize myself or put myself on a pedestal. But what I am saying is that we're seeing God release a level of authority into the lives of those who are backing the local church. Jesus died for the church. And, and the last thing I want to say, because I'm setting some things straight before, can you feel us moving into the next level? When you hear anybody say, I belong to the Big C Church, I'm saying this from, to all of our campuses, just put the camera right on my eyeballs. You have my permission to immediately rebuke them and say, don't ever say that again. That is the dumbest theological statement you can ever utter, is I'm a part of the Big C Church. No, you're not. Matter of fact, when you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, they're all judged very individually. This, this I have against you. Go read it for yourself. You never once see an indication that you are allowed to float from ministry to ministry and, and therefore exempt yourself from all accountability. The number one reason people say I'm a part of the big C church is because they don't want to be accountable. And not only that, but when you read the Bible, and we're looking at 1 Timothy 5, I'm going to jump back in right now, you are reading two and three layers of infrastructure of leadership over them. So be aware of people who have monthly partnerships and plans, but don't have pastors over them in a local church, because you can't trace them. And if you can't trace them, that's very dangerous, because when they hurt you and they hurt your family when they preach doctrine that's heretical or outside of orthodoxy, no one is going to correct them. Nobody who's in authority should be in authority without being under authority. And so the blessing and favor of God that I want you to understand is flowing in our house is that these conferences, some of these guys work their entire year to do one conference and 3,000 people come out. And across all of our V1 church campuses, every seven days we have a conference. Isn't that amazing? So let's show you what he's dealing with. It says, honor widows who are truly widows. Come on, do you guys see how sassy that is? Honor widows who are truly widows. How else do you become a widow that your spouse dies? But what Paul was saying is that there's some people who are trying to use the system. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show their godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, will set her hope on God and will continue in supplications and prayers night and day. But she, this is verse six, Listen to this with me. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. The church, I'm going to write this. I'm going to read this the way I got it. I'm going to read it the way that I wrote it because it's a wisdom key off of what we just read. The church has a structure for how we care for individuals. And we must abide by a structure of wisdom especially as our church continues to grow, what I found is that everybody has an opinion of how the money should be spent, but has never actually been put in charge of a church's money. And in, in the church of Ephesus, there clearly was some sort of argument going on that Paul heard about that he was addressing. Because what he was saying is like, do we want to help widows? Yes. But are we going to help all the widows? No. Some of you, you have such a precious gift of compassion and mercy that if I gave you the church's bank account in three weeks, it would be zeroed out. And I'd say, where did all the money go? We can't even meet next week. We can't flush toilets. What are we doing? And you'd say, all these people, they're so precious. I wanted to help everybody. And the Lord's like, we'll keep you over here, but don't give them charge over the money. And that's what Paul was actually saying. If you look at these scriptures in depth, what he's saying is which widow qualifies for help and which one doesn't. And according to some people in the local church, they think everybody qualifies with help. Did you know sometimes you thought you were giving somebody money, but they actually bought drugs with it later on? You know how I know? Try to give somebody a sandwich in Manhattan who's asking for money. <laughs> Slap that sandwich. They're like, I'm not hungry. I'm sober. 
Is that always the case? It's complicated, but wisdom. Did you know that my wife has a goal to feed 1,000 families a week and at the current rate she's at, because she stepped into the mercy ministry of our house and we are distributing food out of Brooklyn, we're already reaching over 400 families a month. So we're almost there. Isn't that amazing? And so we have this structure and this structure is set up. But I want to focus on one more thing and I'm, I'm coming to a close now. Verse six, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So what Paul was saying is that, Paul, Timothy, listen, listen, Timothy, there's two kinds of widows, self-indulgent widows and self-sacrificing widows, widows that serve the house and love the house and widows that are just using that single season to serve themselves. And you got to know the difference between the two. And I just want to tell you, this is a wisdom key for somebody. One of my mentors, John Maxwell says this all the time. The number one is too small a number to achieve greatness. The reason why people will listen to you is because you've actually listened to them. The reason why people will serve your dream is because you serve their dream. The reason why people would do your thing is because you did their thing. And, and so self-indulgent people are actually dead before they die because true living occurs through true serving. And if you are the greatest, be the greatest servant. This is the way of the kingdom. I, you know, now all these years later, you guys see me doing all these crazy things. And I love that it happened now because I'm the same dude that was wearing a sweat outfit, crawling through the ground, plugging in electronics at six in the morning, just for the privilege to preach in front of 18 people. And now that you watch me preach, in front of 5,000 people a clip, you realize it was actually a kingdom principle. Nobody on Long Island cared what I knowed until they knew what I cared. That's the hillbilly way of saying it. I had to show up and say, I'll preach to 18, like 18,000 until it turns into 18,000. But I've got to get the DNA of the kingdom in them, which is inconvenience me, God. Disturb my sleep, God. Just bankrupt my bank account because I'm spending all the money foolishly anyways until your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom will always be entrusted to those who don't have selfish ambition and a motive. When you kill your motive, the God dream gets resurrected instantly. When you start taking a no, God will start releasing a yes. When you start getting submitted and under accountability, he will release you to be someone else's accountability because there are irrevocable principles that he set in motion and you cannot violate his ways but get his favor. But if you will stand in holiness and righteousness, if you'll be faithful, I can't tell you how many load-ins I had to do before I never loaded in again. But it wasn't the absence of work. It was the presence of empowerment. I met Andre in the, in the airport. This dude stopped me in the coffee line. You don't ever mess with me before I've been caffeinated. I'm teasing. And he was like, are you Mike Signorelli? I said, yeah, what's going on, man, blah, blah, blah. We had a conversation. He was like, I got to FaceTime my wife. And I said, let me pray for you. I started praying for Andre and JFK, the airport. He almost fell over under the anointing. I was like, bro, don't fall. I literally was like, bro, don't fall. Don't fall. Don't fall, bro. He's like this. I just walked out of our Long Island location right outside where we're doing baptisms. And guess who baptized over 50 people today? It's Andre. Come on, yeah, you can clap for that. Because I know the secret. I don't have a ministry. I give ministry away. I want Andre to do more than I've ever done. It's not about me. It's about what comes through me. And some of you are still so obsessed about your Facebook, Instagram, so obsessed about your ministry that you are being released to not have a ministry. Sometimes you can hold it so tight that God says it's an idol and he's not in the business of sanctioning idolatry. It's when you give it away. And so what he's saying, there's two kinds of widows. One kind of widow uses that season to say, wow, I can't devote to my physical family, so I'm going to devote to my spiritual family. And the other kind of widow says, I'm going to go around, and this is what the scriptures say. It says, I'm going to go around and I'm going to talk and have idle conversations and gossip all day long. 
And then actually, for those of you who are spiritual warfare junkies, it says this. It says, don't do that if you're a younger widow, marry and bear children and manage a new household and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Another translation says, don't give the devil any place. And verse 15 says, for some have already strayed after Satan. So did you know that the conversations that you have Demons are so ubiquitous in the earth that they wait for you to enter a contract with your tongue and to speak a certain word against a man or a woman of God, and they say, got you. I mean, I mean, think about this. People, people ignorantly say, well, there's not that many demons in the earth. Well, excuse me, Jesus cast legion out of one person. So one man had so many demons that the demons referred to themselves as a Roman military unit of thousands. And then the pigs that they went into went into the water and they were removed to go inhabit another body. And so we are given a window into a spiritual picture in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that actually says, hey, the way you're talking, please do not give place to the devil. Some of you <laughs> are coming to the realization that no leaders ever held you back. It's your tongue that got in the way. It's your tongue because the Bible says promotion does not come from man. It can't. That's an irrevocable principle. You cannot get promoted by a human being. And the more you study spiritual authority, the more truth you'll realize I'm telling you. You cannot get promoted by a human being. There is a principle in action on planet earth that says promotion only comes from God. But what about evil rulers? Them too. What? God promoted evil rulers, yeah, because his will is sovereign, and he's using all of it to converge to the fulfillment of every single prophecy, and that's why if you read your Bible real close, it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So you always thought Pharaoh was mean. It said, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. God's always in control. See, the problem is when you try to stay in control, you end up losing control. So what God wants to do with 1 Timothy chapter five is to help you all understand what kind of widow are you going to be? Don't give the adversary any occasion for slander. Don't stray away towards Satan, which you know what's funny? It doesn't say the widow strayed away towards their own desires. See, the Bible never talks that way because doing your own desire is always a synonym for Satan's will. <laughs> People are like, I don't know how to be in God's will. I'll tell you how to be in the opposite of God's will. Do your own thing. Because the blessing is in doing God's thing. And you would rather be a nameless, faceless person doing God's will. You'd rather be a front door greeter at the local church than to be a guru at the biggest conference in America. And, and everybody know your name. Because what will happen is when you talk about what remains, the only thing that remains. I heard this story of this woman who died. She, uh, she physically died, and then she came back, and she told this story. She was on national Christian television. She said, when she died, she stood before God, and God says, said, give me everything that counted in your life. Give me everything that counted in your life. And immediately, she said she was thrust into this vision of her entire life from birth till death. And she said, the only thing I was allowed to give God back were the things that I did for his kingdom. It was the only thing that counted. Somebody was like, why are you so intense in your leadership? I'm not doing it for you, and I'm not doing it for the people. I'm doing it unto him. I'm making it count. I'll pick up every piece of trash. I'll make sure every piece of equipment works. I'll do everything I can because I'm doing it unto the Lord because when I stand before, I'm gonna say this mattered for you. I remember being in my 20s, and, and thinking I was in the will of God because I put Christ in the sentence. I, I, got, I had a Christian music venue called The Branch. I had a house with uh, Christian paraphernalia hanging on the walls. I don't know what you call it. And so by all accounts, I was a Christian. Many of you, and the Lord wants to deal with your heart right now as we come to a close. The Lord's not asking you whether you identify as a Christian. But the Lord is asking you, are you living a life that counts for eternity? Because the only thing that will matter is not what you get. 
Greatness is not determined by what you get. Greatness is determined by what you give. The only metric for greatness is how much you give. How much you get does not determine. There's a lot of selfish people who got a lot of things, but that did not make them great. What made them great is what they give. That's why one of the four core values of this church is generosity. Because for years and years and years, I could have took a higher salary, but we would reinvest all the money in church. For years and years and years, it was like, just over and over again, and I still haven't arrived. To, to anybody you've ever met who's generous, they don't feel generous enough. I go on a 41-day global revival tour, and I tap out my entire retirement to do it and still didn't feel like I gave the Lord enough because the only battle that I'm in now that I realize I have all power over Satan is me versus God who can outgive who. That's the greatest battle of my life. And he is whooping me so bad because I gave him my house and he gave me a multi-site church and a bigger house. I gave him my retirement within the first six dates of me going on revival tour with no offerings being taken and with me giving my books away for free, people spontaneously donated the entire amount back to equal my retirement. I can't give out God. I'll give God. And there's two kinds of widows in 1 Timothy 5. And Apostle Paul is trying to say, don't waste your time with those people who aren't really widows. And the reason why he said that is because they, they're breathing, but they're already dead. Just like their spouse is dead, they're dead too, because all they do is their own thing. And that's why I'm here to tell you, there's a level of humility in what I'm saying, is until we do Christ's thing, nothing else we do matters. You would be better off when you seek first the kingdom, you put it in that number one slot and then you do your bills. And I'm talking as a spiritual father now. Maybe if you guys wanna come up, you can now. I'm speaking as a spiritual father. You'd be better off to put that first number in there. This is what I'm gonna do with my time. I'm gonna give God this part of my schedule and I'm not deviating. This is how much time he's gonna get and, and add the time up. So how much do you wanna pray every day? How much do you want to, then you show up on church on Sunday and you volunteer and you serve and add that up. It's still gonna be a lesser number than sleep. It's still gonna be a lesser number than sleep. It's still gonna probably be a lesser number than your physical job. And that's how much you gave God. And I say this in love because there has to be a realignment. We're getting ready to celebrate here in a few moments. So this ends on a high note, I guarantee you that. But the thing that I have really been on a journey is can I outgive God? When I was in Yakima, Washington, now to anybody who's generous, they have a million stories they can tell you about financial breakthrough. The only people who don't have stories about financial breakthrough aren't generous. I've come to learn that. If you don't have a new story of what God's done in your finances, you, you just, you're at a stagnated level of your finances and your generosity I was sitting in this tent, feeling low, all up in my feels, emo. And I said, you know, this local church put this tent revival on and 2,000 people came to see me preach. And I love the fact that that pastor, his name's Brian Jennings. I said, I love the fact that Brian Jennings is believing for more than just his church. He's believing for revival for his city. And out of my own bank account, I felt like I was supposed to get $500. Now I'm the traveling minister. I've already paid for all these other expenses, but I, I felt led to give $500. Then all of a sudden, that you guys know the rest. Miracles happened. It was amazing. It was an incredible display of God's glory. But that next morning, Pastor Brian calls me and he's like, hey, there's another pastor in the area. He feels very burdened by something. He wants to see you before you leave your hotel. So I'm like, yeah, tell him, come by. And he's this beautiful Indian man who moved to America 30 years ago. And he looks at me and he's got tears in his eyes and he said, 30 years ago, before I left India, I used to do ministry just like you, casting out demons, praying for the sick. But then I got to America and 30 years ago, America wasn't ready for that yet. He said, it was a lot of seeker sensitive Christianity. How comfortable can we make them? How nice can we be? How encouraging, how many stories from our family can we tell to make you cry in 30 minutes and then get you out in time for lunch? And he was like, but when I saw you minister last night, it awakened something in me. 
and showed me there is a reason why God brought me to America and I'm to do what you're supposed to do. And so he hands me this envelope and I open up the envelope and he was like, I just wanna tell you, the Lord specifically told me this is not for ministry, this is for personal. And I open it up and it's a check for $5,000. I gave 500 and 12 hours later I was given 5,000. This is not prosperity gospel, it's just generosity. It's just me saying he gives seed to the sower. So the irony is you you don't ever look and ask how much seed do I have, you ask how much seed do I sow? Oh, come on, y'all. You don't ever ask how much seed do I have because that doesn't make you a sower. That that makes, makes you a keeper of seed. What makes you a sower is giving it away. So the Bible says he gives seed to those who sow. So the reason why God entrusts me with money is because I give a lot of money. There's no other way around it. And anybody know, who knows me knows what I'm talking about. Whether I've had a lot of seed or a little bit of seed, I've always given a lot of seed. And he just keeps increasing the amount of seed. And there is, that is the fastest way to increase in your life. And the reason why I say that is because when we, okay, so let me step in. I want the whole church to hear this across every campus and then, and then we'll close. So we've been looking for a building for a long time. And here on Long Island, the number one strategy is to wait for another congregation to die and then a new congregation takes their building. And even that has bred this phenomenon where pastors are fake friends to other pastors waiting for their congregation to die so that they can take the building. And I'm saying that out loud because I hate that spirit. That is, that is inappropriate. We should always be for other people what we wish that God would send to be for us. And, and it's the opposite spirit in this house. It's give everything you got till you can't give anymore. And so for years, I've been saying to God, I'm not just gonna wait for another. Matter of fact, I'm not gonna pray for another congregation to die. I'm saying dry bones rise. You know what I mean? So we had to engage a legal team to try to find alternative spaces that don't have an occupancy for churches. And they vet them through a very strict criteria because the attorney general here in New York will reject a purchase even if we purchase it, if it's not legally in alignment. Does this all make sense? Because this is like a church business. This is 1 Timothy chapter 5 right now. This is church business. And so... At the time, the building was caught up in a contracted deal with Dunkin' Donuts. And I hate Dunkin'. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Dunkin', the U.S. doesn't run on Dunkin'. And so anyways, they extended past their contracted time on their offer. So I came in and offered them a lower amount of money. So it's still below fair market value, but above national value because it's expensive out here. So I got an offer accepted for $4.45 million to buy a 20,000 square foot building off of 110 that is right down this, basically on the same street as the movie theater where we launched this church. Now, right now in this auditorium, it's about 4,000 square feet. So imagine fourfold. Doesn't he always do it fourfold when he's giving back with the devil stone? And so this is 20,000 square foot for 4.45 million. And I had to make a decision. So I have been meeting with my apostolic oversight all across the U.S. and having very crucial conversations. Now, we are going to shout in a few minutes, but let's just start with this. There's this thing. It's a phenomenon. And it's called the bystander effect. And the bystander effect is observable in psychology. You study it in basic psychology classes. Because all across the world, every continent, every language, every color, they witness this phenomenon where somebody's getting stabbed in broad daylight and nobody helps, even though there's 50 people hearing someone get murdered. And, the re- and, the, and this happens all over the world. And they're like, why would not one person jump in to help the person getting stabbed? And the reason why is the bystander effect is a principle where one person says, oh, someone else is going to jump in. Then they say someone else is going to jump in and they hot potato that tragedy until essentially someone gets fully murdered in broad daylight. Nobody jumped in. And when I was running the numbers, we had, I presented this all to you guys when we were at the space at Westbury with prophet Leon Dupreez. And I said, we need to raise 350,000 because I'll take that and put it with our savings 
even though it's a multi-site savings, we'll go towards Long Island for it because we need to come up with almost a million dollar down payment to get into the building. And I say this in love and I say this with gentleness. Long Island campus is a 1,000 person campus. The one we're in physically right now, we, as you guys can see, our whole lobby is filled uh, with people. We can't even have a lobby, which I'd love to have a lobby. <laughs> um, you know where you can hang out and all that. This is a 1,000 person campus. When I ran the numbers, only 160 people gave towards the building. But you know, for as hard as it is to hear that, and some of you are shocked by that, the bystander effect is a big reason where everyone thinks someone else is gonna do it, therefore nobody does it. And you can go to a church like this and think, oh, surely they have all kinds of money and not realize everyone's thinking that, therefore no one's giving. The other phenomenon that just helps you all to understand is that your average church, 20% of the people support 100% of the people. So 160 people gave out of 1,000 for their own possibility of getting a church building. So a lot of times it's not people aren't giving enough. It's that only a small percentage are giving as much as they can and they're stretching themselves and there's many other people who just come and they just go home. And so this is not a condemnation message. This is a message, and this is the phrase the Lord gave me. And this is why I believe when Paul was telling Timothy, you gotta say some crazy stuff. This is gonna, you're literally gonna have to look at a widow and be like, you're not a real widow. You know, the, the loss of their husband, the grief of their husband, and the apostle Paul saying, you're gonna have to look at that woman and say, you're not a real widow because you're living selfish. And I feel like there's a moment right now where I'm looking at some of you guys and saying, this is what I want for the end of service. Because I'm gonna tell you what I did in a second. I want the 80%. I'm not asking you to give $50,000. I'm not asking you for you to give 20,000. I'm not asking you to go sell your car or a kidney. But I believe that if you take the amount of money that you make and move the decimal place two times, and you say, Lord, every time I make $100, I'm going to give you 10. If I make $500 a week, I'm going to give you 50. If I, give, if I make 1,000 a week, I'm going to give you 100. Some of you are saying, oh, he's tithing. He's surely a prosperity gospel. No, if you're new covenant, I like you more because you're beyond 10%. Because new covenant is extravagant. I, have, I, I, mean, I mean, a lot of people regard me as a reformed charismatic, by the way, in, in theological circles. So don't come at the, I don't believe in, in, in the tithe because I'll pull your giving report up and see how new covenant you really are. And I'm not being mean, but there's a point where we, it's not like we can't step into this next season because we don't have enough money. It's because there's 80% of people who haven't decided whether or not they want to move in. It's spiritual. I feel the anointing. It's spiritual. The, when I started going viral on Facebook, the whole world started calling me Papa Sigs because they call African prophets Papa, for those of you who don't know. And I was reaching a lot of people in Zambia and, and uh, basically different uh, African nations. They all started saying, he's Papa Six, which I love that. I have a hat now that says Papa Six. But the world was recognizing me as a father. And I said, God, isn't it just like you to take me to one of the most orphaned regions of the US? Because it's an orphan spirit. Watch this. Orphans can't build legacy because they're just in survival mode for the present. And if you didn't give towards this building, you have an orphan spirit. Because what you're saying is, but I like our little 4,000 square foot. I like coming up to the altar and, you know, my wig falls off and my eyelash comes out and my, I start puking out demons and we have a good old time and I go home. Your only orphans can only think about the present. And they say, well, I like this world and I like dating and playing hopscotch with V1. I jump in and jump out. Maybe this is my church. Maybe this isn't. The way that I broke an orphan spirit off of Indiana was I saved all their money and bought them a building and said, welcome home. And Indiana is listening to this sermon through their building right now. And I, I, I went to my spiritual grandfather. His name's Dwayne Vanderklok. He has a massive church the size of a mall, just to give you an idea. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I walked out to preach his 9 a.m. service, and there were over 4,500 people in a 9 a.m. service. 
And I told him, I said, should I buy this building? And he said, Mike, absolutely, you should buy this building. Why don't you just buy it in cash? He actually assumed with the number of people we have in our church that we had cash to do it. And he said, that's where our assignment is different. You're in the Bible belt. And I'm ministering to people who eight years later still think I'm gonna leave them. And so the biggest message that I have for you is a father's heart message. Because I'm not asking you to give. I'm asking you to move in. And when the Lord showed me this, when you move into an apartment in New York City, you give first months, last months, and security deposit. When you move into a house, you give a down payment for the house. So your biggest payment is always the one up front. And then you get to move in. And I feel like right now, the Lord is actually changing something in your heart to say, it's time to move into V1 Church. Stop, stop playing games. Stop trying to expect things to go bad. Stop operating out of that sabotaging spirit. You know, a sabotaging spirit is when you'll make things bad so that it'll, it'll make the familiar trauma that you came from. And there's some people that are sabotaging relationships, sabotaging opportunities so that they can recreate the feeling of trauma because trauma is more comfortable than health. And, I'm, and so when I was talking to my spiritual grandfather and said, do I buy this building? And he said, absolutely, you buy it. I said, wait a second, I see an opportunity. I see an opportunity to break an orphan spirit again. And somebody said something, Ashley Kate, where are you? Is she, Ashley Kate's been in our church from the beginning and she said, Pastor Mike, again, this is a family conversation across all of our campuses. She goes, Pastor Mike, I've been following your leadership for seven, eight years. And she said, when you, when you announced the building, uh, with Leon DePriest with you that Sunday, you said something I never heard you say in seven years. You said, if you guys will go with me. She said, every other major decision you've done with V1, you've saved all the money and you surprised us because you were trying to show us you can trust me. But now you're demanding that the congregation goes to the next level and says, no, we're with you. And so that's what you're feeling right now. So let me just tell you, you might as well just start hyping this music up a little bit better than that because you're depressing me a little bit. You might want to hit the cymbals and start shimmering every location. I reached out to our lender, gave them our information, got approved for over $3.7 million. I've got the down payment and we are going to buy that building. We are going to take that building. We're going to step up into those doors and say, spirit, break out. Somebody jump to their feet and celebrate. Long Island belongs to Jesus. This building will be dedicated to his usage. Take it off the books. It belongs to Jesus. Somebody shout. Come on. Stay on your feet. Let me just help you understand. I went to our lender and I said, we didn't raise the down payment, but I'm Papa Six. Approve me for the money. Let's do this thing. Because sometimes on Long Island, you just got to go first. So I'm running towards the roar right now. And I want to know who's behind me to run. We're going to slay some giants together. And your children and children's children are gonna see that building as a memorial and they're gonna say, Grandpa, when you're older, Grandma, Great Grandma, what is this? And you're gonna say, we were the wild ones. In our generation, they said you couldn't have this building, but we walked up in there and bought this building. Somebody. So here's what I did. Pastor Josh will tell you, I got approval letter. And from Grand Rapids, Michigan, after my apostle told me I can do it, I got that approval letter and I said, I will tap our bank account to zero getting into that building because I know the people of Long Island will go with me. And for many of you, this is gonna be the last orphan spirit that gets broken off of you. Because where your treasure is, your heart is, and that vagabond heart, that wandering heart, that plan A, B, C, D heart, cancel all your plans, cancel all the imaginations, move your heart into the house. I don't know who needs to hear that right now. Move your heart in the house. Some of y'all, you're gonna have 
people of every race, get used to it. Some of y'all gonna learn some things. You're gonna have people of every age, male and female, join around you. Through the house of God, because you're moving in. Jesus prayed that we would be one. And I love monthly partnerships, but I'm ready to covenant. I'm thankful for those paraministries, but you can't have a paraministry until you have the local church. How many of you are ready? So let's do this. This is going to be our last moment. Take your phone out. And I'm all, all, all I'm talking to you, okay, if you are one of those sanctified, fire-breathing, tongue-talking, devil-stomping folks that are on reoccurring giving, if you're one of the 160 Gideon's army, Pastor Mike, I know you ain't talking about me because I went broke trying to give towards this building. Just chill during this moment. But if you are the other person, who's been dating, it's time to get married. Who's been flirting, it's time to have fidelity and commit to the house. Who's been, ain't nobody confused. You know the Holy Spirit called you here anyway. And if he didn't, don't come back next week. But right now, what I wanna ask you to do is this. Reprioritize your life. Across every campus, this is gonna be the most spiritual thing we do today. Open up the V1 Church mobile app, And then with the V1 Church mobile app open, I want you, if you haven't done that, now some of you are like, I get paid hourly and I can't do this because it changes. That's fine, commit it in your heart. Commit it in your heart because you're not changed by what you do once. I I wanna give you this bit of wisdom. If all of you say, yeah, I'll I'll give $200 one time, that'll get us into the building but not keep us there. You are not changed by working out one time. You're changed by what you repeatedly do. Generosity is a lifestyle. So when you sign up for reoccurring giving, what you're saying right now across every campus is, God, I want to be generous. I don't want to just give one time and say I'm a giver. That doesn't make you a giver. It makes you generous when it's who you are. And then I want you to think about what is generosity to me? New Testament, Old Testament, tithe, generosity, whatever you want to label it, it's when you die and you stand before God and he says, give me what counts. Do something right now that counts. I was telling somebody, because I'm giving you a moment to set this up on your phone, because we're all doing it together. For those of you who, do, who haven't, I was telling somebody, this moment right now is the, one of the hardest things to convince people to do but it's also the hardest thing to convince people to stop doing once they start. It's like people who know what I'm talking about right now, once they get on the other side of it, they're like, I can't believe I lived without generosity in my life. I can't believe I live without reoccurring giving. And so right now we're gonna do this and I'm gonna pray. Again, I'm not asking you to give towards the building. I'm asking the 80% to say, we're not letting that 20% drive this whole thing anymore. We're doing this. We're all in. Do you know that Jesus prayed that we would be one? So we're going to do this right now. I'm just giving, I see some of you with your phones still. I'm just giving you a second to finish. But it's amazing what will happen. Some of you, you know the ways of deliverance. You know the ways of prophecy. You know the ways of healing. But when you learn this way, it's supernatural. Read how many times finances and money show up in Jesus' ministry. There's always a supernatural aspect connected to it that you cannot know it until you step in that direction. It's one of the holiest things that can happen in your life is when you say, okay, I'm moving in. Somebody say, I'm moving in. Yeah, come on, say it again. I'm moving in. There's something that begins to happen when you put your treasure, your heart begins to move in in peace. Peace, peace, peace. Come on, let me pray for you guys now. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone from Indiana, Miami, Long Island, New York City that right now is committing and they're moving in and they're saying, God, change me. Rearrange some things in my life. Lord, I thank you that that financial breakthrough begins to happen as they prioritize your kingdom, as they invest in your business. 
God, it's a stock with a return that's significantly greater than we could ever imagine. And Lord, I thank you that many souls will be one. For all of you in New York, well, matter of fact, let's dream together as a family. Even as I'm praying, I want you to see the vision of buildings being filled that you say, I filled this building. I am the reason why I committed to this thing. I want you to see children's revivals happening. I want you to see conferences for teenagers happening. I want you to see conferences for young adults happening. I want you to see the generations being changed. Marriage conferences happening. Begin to see it in the spirit because you're moving in. And those who lay their life down, when you lose your life, that's when you find it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this as a prophetic act. Let's go back to some shimmers because we're getting ready to take territory. How many of you know the devil gets mad when you start stepping in? But when Joshua went to go take Canaan, he said, I know how we can take Jericho. Let's march around those walls. So from the United Kingdom all the way to the West Coast, California, to here, we're going to give one big shout and we're going to believe that walls are coming down and that our church is going to possess the land and we're gonna do this thing. Who's with me on this? So on the count of three, every campus, every location, let's shout these walls down. We're dropping a $1 million down payment. We're moving into a $4.45 million building, and we're believing for more buildings after that so that we occupy every space God has for us. Let's shout these walls down. One, two, three. Yeah! Hallelujah! We're coming to take it back! We're coming to take it back! Hallelujah! Yes! It's already ours! It's already ours! It's already ours! The devil lost on Long Island! We've gone too far. There ain't no shutting us down now. August 31st, our lease is up in this building. I told them, don't even renew our lease. Give our deposit back and give the whole thing back in Jesus' name. And we'll figure out what happens if we don't get in that new building by August 31st, but we're getting a building. Where there's no turning back. And I did this as a father to you to show you we're not going anywhere. And even if you don't show up, I'll show up first. Now let's go do battle together. Let's go do battle together. We are the wild ones. And I'd rather do battle with you than any other church on the planet. Because I do believe in it. You know, let me just, I feel this in the spirit, Joanna. Is that you shout me down over there? Oh, I felt that anointing. I, I got, I feel led to say this. I want to break this off of our whole church across every campus. Look at me when I say this. There is nothing wrong with liking your own church. There is nothing wrong with being proud of your own church. That's an orphan spirit. That's a spirit of divorce. That's a covenant-breaking spirit. Listen, I'm proud of my wife. My wife's not perfect. Julie's got faults and failures. Julie's proud of me. I'm not perfect. You don't, you don't say I'm only proud of perfection. Matter of fact, you're proud of it because it's yours. So I want to break that off of every single one of you. It's okay to love your church. And if someone says you're talking about your church too much, tell them you're talking about depression, anxiety, fear, and then anything too much too. You're talking about, I found a place where the presence of the living God comes down in that place. I found a place where people don't treat me like my past. They treat me like my future. I found a place where people believe in me and God through me. It's okay to be proud of what you are building. I don't know why. You know, I felt that in the spirit. I know we're going long. I got to leave. I got a ballet to go to. But you need to say that because New York and Northwest Indiana and Miami, I, every time I go to these regions, I can feel this oppressive spirit that's like, don't be proud of your church. Well, I'm not proud of our church because it's perfect. I'm proud of it because it's ours. 
You know what I mean? Of course we got stuff to work on. But don't talk about my wife. That's my wife. I'll fight you for talking about my wife. And we got to have that same attitude. Of course V1's got stuff to work on. But it is the greatest church I've ever gone to in my life. And I'm not going to stop acting like I can't be excited about it. Stop raining on my parade. Stop trying to camp. Come on, everybody gets their parade. I'm going to have a V1 parade myself. We spill blood. We spill tears. We've laid our lives down for this thing. We've cashed out all we got. Yeah, I'm proud of it. I love my church. I love my church. And I'm going to put the biggest, most obnoxious V1 church sign on this building. And they only call you a cult if you're doing it right. They only call you a cult if they can't explain the unity, if they can't explain the favor. If they're not calling your church a cult, it's because it's so normal, it's not changing culture. Call us a cult because we're turning this region upside down. (laughs) Hide your kids, hide your wife. Everybody's getting saved. Love you guys so much. Go to Growth Track to learn how to become a member. Go get baptized again if you're sweaty. Love you so much, and I'll see you next Sunday.